Welcome back, team, to another Combat Gym Unlocks podcast, the show where we bring you people who have been there, done that, and got the battle scars to prove it to help level up the industry at large. My special guest today, he's a man that's helped build the bedrock of uh, combat sports and Muay Thai in Australia, Mark Hammer. Castanini, welcome, mate. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's been a little while since I touched base with you, man. It was over at IFMA at uh, Bangkok there. Yeah, yeah, no, what a great event that was. It was really great for me to see scale that the IFMA stuff's grown to. I've known Stefan Fox for many years. It's, he's a real passionate man about the amateur stuff. I, I was very proud to see brandness of the event and how many countries are supporting. Wonderful event to be at. And of course, I got to listen to your amazing commentary again at Rebellion. There you're next to uh, Michael Chevello. That was incredible, mate. Yeah, good show. It's good to see some talent coming through. Side so does it well. I was very appreciative of all the fighters on the card. I always think they deserve respect. I try and give the commentary as much positivity as, as possible. Both fighters in the ring always deserve respect from me. If you've ever been in the ring, you know that it's not easy. You know, respect to both. 100%. And just listening to your commentary, I learned some really good tactical insights and you breaking it down with real and real nice authority. I, I love the way you commentate, mate. Really enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, look, from working with Fox Sports involved in broadcasting since cable TV, pay-per-view TV started. So that's how old I am. But the, the, the main thing that was always told to me from the producers is that got to commentate for the people that don't know the sport the people that do are pretty much always <laughs> armchair experts anyway so they don't listen to me anyway i like to commentate for people that perhaps are just watching for the first time i want to be welcoming and educational introduce them to the sport that we love so much someone says why don't i call uh, you know push kicks teeps if i start trying around thai terminology or thai language that's going to alienate people that do not know the sport you know what the hell is a teep we know, of course, we can always pay homage to the, the Thai culture and the Thai techniques. Blame Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know, calling shit teeps on the UFC. It's all good. They can get away with it because people are watching. Half of them don't know what they're watching anyway. Just like the spectacle of two people punching the stuffing out of each other. To me, it's always been about respect, education. Try and be as exciting as possible. If I'm with Michael, it's always interesting and exciting. So yeah. we got the band back together. Yeah, yeah that's a long combination. Time. And I like to ask, hey, mate, your house is burning down. You get to save three things out of there before it goes to the ground. What are you going to save, mate? My wife, my dog, and my Australian title belt. That's <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we had an earthquake here in Melbourne not so long ago, not so long ago and I live in an apartment. And the thing was, the, the place was shaking. What I do here? <laughs> what am I grabbing first to run out of the street? <laughs> So I can run on my own or do I grab someone? <laughs> so, you know, that that question is not far from reality recently. <laughs> Mark Hammer out there with his, his uh, Rocky boxes and his uh, bathrobe around him and he's got his belt. He's got his wife on the other shoulder and the dog under. <laughs> what a, what a wife, sight. Wife and dog. Wife and dog. <laughs> At the origin story of everything that's happened, like you had obviously some pivotal moments in the journey from being a fighter. Then, of course, we love to talk about business on the show. I was still fighting. My first ever student, first when I really first started teaching, was Michael Chevello. So I trained Michael in my garage in my house, and it was for his 21st birthday. He wanted to get in shape for his 21st, so I said, let's do it. Train him in my garage. He'd run out, throw up in the garden, and then come back for training. So that was our routine a couple of times a week. I showed him no mercy, and my teaching style's become a lot more 
friendly these days. Yeah, I figured out if people are throwing up every lesson, they're probably not going to come back. Oh. The, only, the, only, the only thing that people keep going back to that makes them throw up is generally drinking on the Saturday yeah. night. So <laughs> Michael was really my first student. And then uh, my ex was, you know, she joined in. And then I got asked to help at this karate uh, club. And it was built in, a, in an old fitness center. And they basically give me two squash courts. So if you know how big a squash court, it's not too big. Yeah. So they had two, yeah. they blew the wall out in between the two. And that was, that was where I started. The question was, all right, I get asked to start teaching. How am I going to do it? It's all right to train one fighter, but how do you scale? How do you teach mm. when you get 10 people, 20 people? How do you teach them the right way to structure their learning and the training? So it doesn't become overwhelming for them. I thought, okay, well, what's been around for centuries that is still in existence that is in combat to martial art. How does a martial arts class run? From my days of Kyokushin walking in, first lesson, line up, blah, 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 do all that. If you have structure and you have tradition and you have respect in your class, it manifests that way in whatever you do, be it your students, your business, or your fighters. Funny because going back in the day when I started, it was something called Sports Blitz. It was a, a kickboxer forum that I ran. And there was a forum on there. Debate kicked in about, oh, you can't do that karate shit in Muay Thai. It doesn't work. You'll never, you know, build fighters, blah, blah, blah. People that, and I know who they are, that were getting on that forum and trying to be anonymous, that were bagging me. <laughs> I still I still see them today. There are, there's two things that have happened. They've either embraced what how I teach and do it the same with, with structure, or they're still in their shitty little gyms with three or four fighters and they've not grown their business and they complain mm -hmm. about how they can't grow their business and why is everyone why what's the problem blah 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 i've got nothing against either of it if you want to have a small fight gym with half a dozen fighters oh, that's fine you know that's if that's your journey that's fine if that's what motivates you i like to have more of an esoteric look at it as a martial artist my days of fighting are well gone i want to just throw this up paul slowinski at my gym for a seminar. He was a heavyweight Muay Thai champion of the world. And he was a man. He's based his career around fighting and winning a world title, which many fighters do. But when he walks into my gym or most gyms now, there's not many people that know him. And that's a sad thing for me. You can base your motivation around fighting and winning titles. But if you do not have a martial art philosophy, your career will be short and you will be forgotten. And we see that Time in, time out with UFC fighters, with Muay Thai fighters. There's so many Muay Thai legends, a lot of them forgotten. Even in Thailand, oh, you get in the cab, this guy was a Lumpini champion. What's he doing? Driving a cab, who knows him? Nobody. So if you base all of your your, your efforts into just winning fights, mm. it's not something that you can transition to business. Mm, good point. What's your philosophy when it comes to martial arts or martial arts business practice? Uh, structure, systems and structure all day, mm. respect values that have to be taught early. You've got to understand, kid walks into your gym, you teach them how to elbow someone in the face. The brutality of that cannot be underestimated. You've got to have some process in understanding how that person's personality is before you teach them ways to harm other people. For me, it's like, you know what? You come in, you show respect, you wear a uniform, you bow in, you show respect to your trainer and your your fellow students. And if that's too hard, I don't want to teach you how to hurt people. If you can't respect certain values, life values that today are very sadly lacking, why would I teach a thug to hurt someone else? Mm. Why? Because I, I want to have a fighter that's you know in the corner. I don't need to be in the corner. Like some parents live through their kids, some trainers live through their fighters. And they're, you know, they're in the corner and they're doing all the, the stuff and 
they think it's about them. Number one, it's not about them. Number two, you're dealing with someone that you've got to get through a fight. And to me, it's about my fighter not getting hurt with the least damage. My original karate instructor, going back to when I moved Thai boxing, kickboxing. Oh, you're going to do that? He goes, you know what I see? He goes, I see at the end of the fight, two fighters standing there waiting for the decision. They both bleeding, cut, damaged. And then they say someone won. How can you say someone won? They both wrecked. Man, that makes sense. I want to be the guy that doesn't get damaged. Yeah? Then you want to fight. And having said yeah. that, I was that, I was that guy. I won my fights because people just got tired of hitting me. My defense was terrible. And I've only become a, a decent martial artist since I started teaching. You have to display that, good technique. That's really interesting. Think about guys that do manage to get through fights without getting hurt. People like Israel Adesanya, right? I know you yeah. know well and you've commentated some yeah. of his fights yeah. and him come up. Time and time again, he puts it on people, but he's very strategic about not taking on damage. Can you talk about what enabled you to scale and go bigger and become Hammer's Gym as we know it today? I've always worked three jobs. I was in corporate for 22 years as a general manager of a publishing company. I was working security. And then from the work and security, I opened my own nightclub. So I opened this nightclub, ran it for seven odd years, struggled and struggled with it every weekend. I went to a, a meeting with some uh, nightclub people here in Melbourne. One guy knew I was struggling. He goes, Hammer, everyone knows you. Everyone knows you as a fighter. I'll give you advice. I know you're doing it tough in your nightclub. Stick to what you know. Don't get involved in stuff that you don't know. That's our business. I wanted to punch his face in when he said it, mind you. But as hard as it was for me to have that said to me, you know, he's probably right. I know martial arts, I know Muay Thai, I know the fight game. It's my contacts, it's my life, it's it's my passion. You know, when I shut the club down, I lost a load of money. I was pretty much broke. Again, I've been broke a couple of times and I had to start from scratch. I was looking at things happening in America with full-time facilities, found the site. I did my area analysis first, got a map. I looked where my where I was teaching, didn't want to affect their business. So I identified an area that had a real void, middle-class area. Uh, high disposable incomes. I got a good feeling as soon as I saw this building, it had good car parking. Uh, I didn't have a lot of road frontage. That's that's something I learned from that original Hammers Gym. And if you look on YouTube, you'll see the opening of Hammers Gym. Original one was 2008, I believe. I got Danny Green to come and interviewed him for Fox Sports. I said, man, I'm opening a gym. Will you come? And he was on Dancing with the Stars at the, at the time, and he was filming the finale. Of Dancing with the Stars it was a big thing. Yeah? Channel 7 had him locked in a studio. He goes, man, I'm filming this finale. He goes, I can't get out. He goes, you know what? Have a car waiting for me. They're going to give me a lunch break. As soon as I get as soon as I get a lunch break, I'm going to come down to the gym. We're going to do the opening. And I had one of my boys there sitting out the front in the car. And Danny Green, the absolute legend, come down. And he walked in and he goes, man, I love the feeling of this place. You know, we had a full-size ring, had a small weights area. You know, a, a matted area bag. The one thing I learned from my nightclub days is I opened a nightclub and it was half done. I took shortcuts now. I never go, oh, you know what? We'll open and then we'll fix that later. It's like your house. You know, you renovate your house. I'll, you know, we'll, I will do a renovation and we'll just move in and we'll paint later. You never do the later stuff. Life yeah, yeah. takes it. And it's the same in, in a gym or a business. My advice is if you open, you get one chance to make a first impression, do it right especially for grand openings and stuff. You know, it's like a nightclub grand opening. They come and they assess that business at that moment. Every time I open, I make sure every picture's straight, floors clean, bathrooms on point, mats, you know, look impressive. You know, people are rolling around on the mats, putting their face down there. I walk into some gyms, there's dirt, there's dust. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we compete with Anytime Fitness. Fitness first, good life in Australia. There's massive franchises here in Australia 
and, and big gym businesses, you can get mm -hmm. towels, you get coffee, you get this, you get that. And what, you think you're going to open a gym, have dirt on the floor, and the general public's going to come in and go, oh, yeah, this guy's a good guy, I'm going to give him twice as much fees to train in a dirty gym and have no structure. Come on, five gyms and martial arts, the business mythology goes against everything that a normal business does. Normal businesses embrace the new client. The new client is everything. The new person comes in, it's like, hey, how are you, blah, 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 you give them that love. So think about a fight gym or a martial art gym. It's different. Come in, you go, you're at the back, shut up, don't ask questions, I'll hold pads for you when I'm ready. Just come in and skip and do the work. And, and then you see these business owners putting all their efforts into these few fighters and neglecting, and mind you, most fighters don't even pay its fees, and they neglect the people that are coming in, wallet in hand, just looking for a change, just looking for a service, just looking for a friendship, just looking for trying to better their life. And they push them to the side because they've got their hero fighters over there that are getting all the attention. That's where a lot of people, you know, yeah. you know you've, someone comes in, first of all, walking into a gym is a buying sign, even if they're shopping you. To walk into a fight gym or a martial art gym is very, very, very confronting. We all forget because we did it probably 20 years ago, or 10 years ago. It's like, yeah, it's cool. They're the best place in the world. But you know what? Someone that knows nothing about fighting that thinks they'd like to try, boxing, Muay Thai, MMA, whatever, they're shit scared when they walk into the door. They're panicking. They think they're going to get bashed, half of them. It's not the case, obviously. But yeah. you've got to put yourself in the mind of someone that's buying your product, not how you think. Always be the client first. What would you want if you walked into a gym? How do you want to be treated? And if you go with that, that method, you sort of can't go wrong. Going back to how I started, it was always be on point, be clean, know that you're competing with multi-million dollar gym empires. Does your facility stack up? Franchises are doing so well. Yeah. They educate, they educate their yeah. franchisees step-by-step step how to deal with their business. And, I love and, that. Yeah. For the people out there, what kind of membership are we talking about at Hammers Gyms? Just so we can put that into context. I've got my 24-7 facility. Um, we do fitness classes. We've got Muay Thai. We've got MMA. We've got wrestling. Uh, BJJ, this karate that, that you know, sublease a part of the, the building that, that I like to encourage as well. And boxing is a big thing too. How have I built it around my Muay Thai predominantly? And I'm heading towards uh, 2,000 members now. Wow, that's amazing. Paying fees annually or paying month, month to month? I've got a couple of different payment tiers and a couple of different options that people can choose. These days, no one wants to be locked in because there's a lot of you know, bad publicity on locking contracts. So if someone's going to lock in for six or 12 months, I make I make it financially rewarding, uh, as, as you should. Yep. If someone on a casual commitment-free agreement is a little bit more expensive, but they can cancel at any time. Brilliant. I've got no fear of that because I know when they start training with me, my retention is off the chart. People don't leave when they start training in my martial arts system. Gym people are different. They host. They go from gym to gym, and you know they try and everything. And you know, so gym people are different. You know, they they yeah. just try and everything, and it's something new and shiny. Though having said that, I've got a good gym community because it's, it follows the structure that I, the way that I suppose the personality types that are encouraged to to my gym are the people that they're like minded. That flows over to the gym. I've had a few bodybuilders come in. They're not comfortable in my gym. And number one, they walk in, they may be 100 kilo, but they see guys in the ring 65 kilo, they could probably tell them up. There you go, shattered immediately. And the guys that are 65 kilo that are training at the gym, 
they're the nicest people you'll meet. It fries their, their thought process. <laughs> they used to go into the hardcore bodybuilding gyms. Everyone's you know, looking everyone around. up and down. Everyone looks yeah, at yeah, that. So you come, you, you come to my gym and it's like, man, you, you know, everyone says hello to everybody. It's a good culture. When I had my original gym, it was a, a lot smaller and it was a lot more of a family. You know, everyone knew everyone. When you've scaled to the size of you, that can't be possible. But at least you can be, you may not know that person well, but you can still give them a smile and you can still sit and nod and say hello when you walk past them. Um, that. And and then there's sub, the little sub-communities within the gym. So there's the weights people and the fitness people. They've got their little groups and they train and they go have coffees together and all that. The Muay Thai people, same. They train, they go and eat after. The BJJ people, you know, they have their own little community groups and, and you know, they go to BJJ comps together. Created these little sub-communities within a bigger dynamic. Uh, well, and how I've done that is, is you know, it's a little bit of, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, of course. And I'd like to unpack that for a second, if I may. Uh, yeah. Just around being intentional and creating culture. We talked about retention. Retention is one thing. You you said that you uh, crossed that bridge by systems and the way that you have your syllabus structured. To know, in fact, around the industry that if you aren't fighting, you generally lose a bit of interest by year one to year three and drop off. It's a grading structure. I'll, I'll talk about karate or, or taekwondo or kung fu or, or kido or hakido or whatever it might be. Every martial art has some sort of structure that has been around for centuries. Yes. Fortunately, a lot of Muay Thai people are that arrogant. They think they don't need to. They're like, oh, no, we, we're not, we don't do that shit. Well, then that's why you've got three people in your gym. What do you want me to tell you? I see some things out there now putting shit on other martial art because we're Muay Thai right. fighters. And I don't, I don't like yeah. it, man. I don't yeah. like it. Because you know what? Imagine it was the other way around and uh, yeah, everyone was ridiculing us. You know, if we're running around with our funny, you know, headbands and stuff, you wouldn't like it. If you want to be respected, respect yourself and respect others. My gym moniker on the wall, I've had it since 1995. Respect all, fear none. I live by that, man. I've worked on nightclub doors. I've had people pull guns, knives, attack me with baseball bats. I don't fear anyone. Worst thing that can happen to me is I die, and I'm not going to know about that anyway because I'm dead. So I'm not fearful of it. If someone's in the gym... Doesn't matter what martial art system they're training. I respect that person. I don't make fun of them. Respect. Any crackhead on the street can have an iPhone and post opinions on things and give me business advice. Tell me what you've done to get, you know, I say this to people that I mentor. Never take advice from someone doing worse off than you. Mm -hmm. Someone's doing worse off than you. We're going to listen to them for. Aspire and listen to people that had been there, done that. One of my mentors was a, a, a man called Craig Dobbs, who was a head of Fox Sports for many years. He gave me no favors, man. He called me out on a lot of stuff. And sometimes mm -hmm. it would hurt, you know, he'd say stuff. And I'm like, wow, that, that's like really harsh. But you know what? As a fighter, and I say this to my students, if I'm taking a class and I'm harsh, and I am sometimes, if you're offended by me saying words to you, how are you going to go when someone's across the ring from you trying to punch your face in? Mm -hmm. That's a little bit more offensive than me saying a couple of things here. Yeah? <laughs> These days, everyone's offended and everyone's fucking so sensitive about shit. The world's not going to change to adapt around you. No one cares. Everyone's got a problem and everyone's got a story and no one cares at the end of the day. If you want to do something for yourself, you've got to be thick-skinned, you've got to be resilient. And going back to when people were making fun of me, how mm -hmm. I was teaching and saying you can't build fighters, well, guess what? I have 90% win ratio when my fighters fight. And my first fighter that trained in my system, I didn't let him fight here in a pub or a small fucking, you know, community hall. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to test my system. His name was David Bashner and Michael Roach, the two boys. 
I said, boys, you're graded up to a certain level in my system. Now we're going to go to Thailand and I'll put you in the ring in Thailand. We're going to see if this shit works. And you know what? Right. They won. I don't have a fighters and normal people club. Everyone has to train together. I don't believe in segregation. How do fighters of a novice level make money these days? Because they're like, oh, I'm not, not making any money. So there's ticket deals where you invite your friends, your community. If you don't have a lot of friends, how the hell are you going to sell tickets? Number one is you've got 50 people, if you're lucky, or 20 people training around you. There's 20 tickets you can probably sell to support you at your fight. So if you're trading on your own, Mr. Hero over there in the corner, it's not going to sell tickets for any mm -hmm. promoters. You've got to bring people on your journey. You've got to be a part of a club. You've got to help others. You'll get support from your fellow gym mates. It builds community within your gym. The promoters are happy because you're selling them tickets. You're getting a lick because you're selling a few tickets as well. And it's a good atmosphere when you fight. Brilliant. You know, good don't advice. Be, don't Sound be, advice. Yeah, don't be a prima donna. Go to the gym. Work in the class with Mr. 9 to 5 over there. That's training just to get, you know, get out of the house. Who can't throw a punch to save his life at the start. These are the people you want to help. Who knows how they'll help you. Nice to be nice and good to help people. This no ego that you have set from the top. This is a an attitude that's coming from the top. You talked about what you have on the wall. Respect all, fear none. People, when they come in, they adopt this. They become part of this programming. And of course, that creates culture. So you are being very intentional about the people who are attracted to your gym. And they get sort of bought into the culture of the gym and support each other. Absolutely. The people with the wrong attitudes don't stay anyway. And I don't want them because they're detrimental to my business. They'll bleed up on beginners. They won't be friendly. They won't respect the facility. They won't respect themselves or each other or, or other people. I don't want them in my gym. They can go somewhere else. You know, I have people that come to my gym that tell me, oh, I've trained for two years I've fought this, that, and I'm like, oh, that's nice. Let's put you in the beginner's class and see where you're at. You use it as a warm-up. So people are like, oh, you know, you can't do that with fighters. Jimmy Crew, UFC fighter. He come and trained at my gym. Sam Greco had a heart problem. He reached out to me and said, can you help Jimmy? They wanted me to, to help Jimmy with his striking. And I was, so, I was so appreciative of that opportunity from Sam. Jimmy come down and I said, man, I've got to do my class. Do you mind just jumping into the class and just using it as a warm-up? Work with me. He goes... Nah, I love that. UFC fighter, stand at the back of the class and just worked along with everyone else. Mm. You know? Mm. And then and then after the class, oh, let's go, Jim, let's go, do your pads, bro. And we worked them. This is the attitude. I get people come to me, I've had two fights, this, that. I put them in my beginner's class and Muppet is not the right word to describe how bad they are. They can't even throw any basic techniques, not on a bag. Now, the reason why I do line work is because if you're always kicking a bag or a pad, you don't develop core strength and balance. In a fight, 80% mm -hmm. of what you throw in the fight is either blocked or misses. You should train for when you miss. How is your composure? Can you throw a shot off the missed shot? Can you roll from one shot to the next? Are you going to lose balance? These are things that martial arts have taught through the years. You go back to yeah, the Bruce Lee's and the this and the that and all the stuff that has popularized martial art. It's about freestyle. It's about adapting. It's about you know having an open mind. I use all of those measures, as you say, and I'm like, you know what? First of all, jump in line, do the basics with intention, with focus, clear, clear your mind of all your problems. It's active meditation and mm -hmm. you're forced to stop, to stop thinking about your problems. That was my life, man. I've had you know, business issues. I've had you know, two marriages. I've had you know, a lot of trauma in my life too. And training has always been my salvation. 
It's been my one hour of reset. You walk in the gym, you leave your problems at the door because sure as hell they're going to be there after training. <laughs> Train for one hour, do your thing, get some good endorphins going. And then when you go back out, you'll deal with that problem with a whole different perspective. You know, computers, when they when they have, have a, bit of, a bit of a meltdown, what do you do? You reset. Reset yeah. yourself, man. You know? yeah. So, yeah, as I said, Clint, I'm sorry. I've got a lot that I like. To, and you, I really I take my hat off to you for doing something. It's good for the, our industry. It's, it's talking about stuff that matters, not just fight stuff and egotistical shit, man. Because that goes and comes. I love Paul and I was really, I was actually quite upset that this guy was the world heavyweight champion. And no less than a few years later, people don't even give him recognition anymore. Mm, so yeah. if your agenda is just about winning a world title, maybe think that that's good for you, but no one's going to care. I, I prefer to leave a legacy and help people on their life journey that have drug and alcohol issues or mental health issues. They come to the gym and it really does change people's lives me helping someone to turn their life around is better than any title i could win better than any yeah. fight i could win and i say this to my fighters when they're so nervous before the fight i go you got to walk out there you're worried about everyone watching you oh you're panicking you're panicking what are they going to think well if i go to a fight show and i sit there through 10 fights and i say to you do you remember that fighter in fight number two that lost you're not going to know who the hell i'm talking about you don't care like, easy, who cares? So why have the pressure of all this? Oh, everyone's looking at me. No one cares. No one cares. The people that are there are there to support their friends and family. If they're true friends, win or lose, they're going to love you anyway. And they'll still be sure. friends. And they're still related. Yeah. You know, just because you lose a fight, they're not going to disown you and you have to go and find another family. <laughs> you might have lost the fight, but you learned a lot, right? And you can build on that. That's the whole idea of the progression. And the progression is the happiness. If you go along the lines of it, it's been... Uh, Mark Hammer, the, the fighter, Mark Hammer, the businessman and, uh, you know, growing a gym business empire. And of course, Mark Hammer, the media guy who's in the commentary, the guy calling the fights and breaking it down for people. Which of those three roles do you enjoy most? Well, that's a great question, Christian. It's, it's a good one. You got me thinking. I love being a nobody that sort of become known in the industry that I love so much. I'm very appreciative. When someone comes up and says hello and, and, you know, says they watch the fights and they know me, I've had a hard upbringing. I've had a hard life in some ways when I was younger. So I never thought I'd be sitting where I am. I never thought I'd have what I have. I finished school. I was 15 years of age. I don't have a big education, but I've managed companies, been a general manager of a company with people that have gone to university and have university degrees. So a lot of it isn't just about embracing whatever situation I'm in. What do I like doing now? I like teaching beginners. So much enthusiasm and they appreciate everything you say to them and they respect you for the most. <laughs> so I think I'm just a bit of a weirdo, you know, because I'm yelling shit out and I'm, you know, telling them to do certain things and they're, you know, it's very foreign. I go back to what we spoke about earlier. Walking into a, a martial art gym or a fight gym is very foreign to some people. So you've got to be firm but relatable. And in today's society, Especially for guys, men are almost suppressed. Mm -hmm. So going into a fight gym, you can be that guy, you know, you can you can hit stuff and it's not bad. You can let your aggression out without people frowning at you. Having a drill sergeant at the front of the class that is like, come on, yeah, that's not happening anywhere. You know, in schools, you know, kids say, oh, you got to speak to little Johnny like this. I don't give a shit about little Johnny. John, fly <laughs> up little Johnny and do what I'm telling you or else you're going to be physically punished by doing push-ups, sit-ups, and then you're probably going to get bashed in sparring. 
and watch how they toe the line. In Australia, there's a big thing with youth crime here, with kids running through houses and, and stealing cars and all of that. Mm. Because they know they get away with it, man. I knew mm. what I could get away with as a kid. So push the boundaries. Kids are being recruited by crime organisations because they know they can run through and steal stuff, take it back to base, sell it. Boom. Who's getting judged? Yeah. No one. Making kids accountable for their behaviours. Where can that happen now? Nowhere. Not even parents can control their kids in some ways. So a lot of parents will, will go, they've got to go somewhere that is not so politically correct that kids just get away with everything. Where is that for us? That's a martial arts school. You line up, you show respect, you bow, you, you be humble, you be respectful. You don't beat up on anyone. You learn to defend yourself. And knowing what you're capable of comes a certain confidence that then means you don't have to utilize that. I worked on the doors of nightclubs for 20 years. And I'd always say, man, you don't like me. And people are telling me they're going to do certain things to my mother and all the rest of it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the first punch. I'll let you throw a shot at me. I never hit anyone first. I don't need to. All this stuff about hit first, be fast. Yeah, it's a good way to go to jail if you like. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you throw a punch at me, my legal defense is then built. You've attacked me first. Go back to teaching beginners, instilling confidence, in, instilling I suppose the, the ability to deal with life and not be fearful, finding an environment with like-minded people that challenge mm. you and that mm. push you. And the weaker you are, the more you're going to get taken advantage of. I want to build resilience in people. I want to build community in my gym, have people around me that are willing to take on the world and face the world and all its problems, business, family, outside, whatever it might be, and know that it's everything in life to me is a fight. It always has been. I've had to fight for everything I've got. When we talk about business, as I said earlier, I picked an area where there was no gyms. I now have between 35 and 40 gyms within a 5K radius of my gym. It doesn't affect you really, does it? Because you've built all of the community. You've got a great product, incredible retention. People are getting the outcomes they're looking for. Yeah. Every business should have a USP. You've got to have a unique selling proposition. What makes you unique? What makes you different? I've got many USPs. Give us a couple, mate. USPs from Mark the Hammer, Kester. Okay. If it's another gym in the area, when my other, I look at my competitors, they're not 24-7. They don't have infrared saunas and they haven't had the array of world-class people, Dolph Lundgren, Steven Seagal, Anderson Silva, GSP. Have they trained at their gym? I've made that happen at my gym. Cost me a bit. Took a lot of effort, but I've looked for things to grow my brand and my opportunity. And you know what? People do seminars. They try and charge and make money out of them. Every seminar I've done has cost me money. I don't yeah. do seminars to make money. I never did shows to make money. My last promotion, I spent $80,000 on it. Jabar Askarov, Jonathan Oyulu show. Best, so best made event. 80K, eight weeks work. Made $1,000. Can I guess but I, that your motivation for that is to build brand and it's essentially your marketing? Correct. Everything is about, as I said, even with the seminars, I do my seminars free for my members as a member benefit. They don't pay. People from outside, if they want to come and join, well, then they've got to pay a small fee. And then what happens is my members think it's normal, yeah? Then they go to another gym. They're like, shit, they got to pay for everything. <laughs> do you know it? I do it because where else can they go where they can train with world-class athletes have that given to them as a member benefit because then they tell their friends, social media, you can't look at everything as an expense. You've got to weigh up expense versus investment. Is it yeah. just an expense or is it an investment? 
So I'll always analyze every opportunity and go, well, is it an expense or an investment from the equipment, from the, you know, the people I bring in. So going back to the USBs, you can train boxing, you can train Muay Thai, you can wrestle, you can do jiu-jitsu. You're tired of doing all that, use the gym. Why did I build the facility that I have? Because in my first Hammers gym, every member that left, I always did an exit interview with. And right. I always got that intel. Why are you leaving? Uh, have I done something wrong? Don't you like the training? Did you get hurt? You learn more from people that are not your fans or are leaving your business. And often you can learn from people that love it because they love it. They're not going to say nothing bad. People were leaving, not because they didn't like Muay Thai or the training. They just wanted a change. They just go, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for two years or whatever. I just want to go do some weights with my boys now and this, that, but I'll come back. It's really sad. I, I used to stand, stand there doing my class and I could see the reception from where I teach. And then I'd see people coming in to fill in their cancellation form and my heart would break a little bit every time, you know. What can I do to, to keep my retention? Why are they leaving? They're leaving because they wanted to do weights. I'm going to give them weights. So they, they did yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. There's just one of many things. Well, look, I mean, if they've got to leave, they've got to come in, they've got to tell the class at large that they're leaving, and then they've got to do 500 kicks each leg. <laughs> they've got to do 50 burpees. Uh, they've got to do 100 press-ups, and they've got to go three rounds with the hammer, and then they can leave. There's one more thing. There's one more thing. They've got to give me a positive Google review. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. I charge of my cancellation <laughs> It's too good. Where do you see the future of it all going, mate? Where do you see the future of Muay Thai in Australia? Where do you see combat sports media in the next five to 10 years? Just some hot takes from the hammer. <laughs> I'd like to say with Muay Thai, the growth is there as it's been in the past, but there's been so much things about one championship. But the reality is the organization is in quite a bit de of debt and I feel it's not grown, it's actually shrunk. So those big shows, international shows, they're not doing them anymore. Some of the things they're doing, I don't agree with, to be honest with you. What would you call it out on? What would you say one champion is not doing right? I think uh, it's a, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to tactically choose what I say here. But maybe, you know what, screw that. I think there's people making fighters do things that they would never do. You put two Muay Thai fighters in, in a ring and you give them a fight with MMA gloves, that's good spectacle for the crowd. I'm big on concussion. In Australia, there's a brain institute here. I've gone off and had scans done because I used to fight. This is going old school now. I boxed as well. I'd have a boxing fight and I was, wasn't getting paid a lot. I'd go from having my boxing fight, I'd have my bouncing work clothes in the car and I'd drive from having a fight and getting probably concussion. That was how I used to fight, just just all in. And I'd go stand on the door of a nightclub and then probably fight there again. All the, over there, everything that was wrong for concussion management, I did. You were doing, you know. Yeah. I don't want to do that to my fighters and I don't want to see people get hurt. Fighter welfare is always paramount for me. I think, you know, the fighting Muay Thai with the MMA gloves, it's all right in MMA because you've got submissions and they wrestle on the ground. Three out of five minutes sometimes. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff there, even with MMA. It, it is a brutal sport. And there's not it a lot is. of money in this. You can buy a lottery ticket or you can try and be a UFC world champion. You've probably got the same odds on both. Yeah, you have to want it and you have to be dedicated and you have to go above and beyond. Like, yeah, Alex Volkanovsky, man, what a journey he's had. And, and I'm so happy for, for the accolades and everything that he's done now. But you know what? He's still with the same gym. He's still helping others. He's still, you know, he's still maintained that martial art discipline. That's what I respect. Digressing a bit. Now, if you look at one championship, 
They've tried to take on UFC. It's never going to happen. There's a bias there for Asian talent. The Westerners that do well uh, really are fighting against the odds. Fighters that do well have to be managed well. Yes. You have two fighters of the same ability, the same skill. Who gets the better opportunity? The one that has the better business manager. And in boxing. That's in my choice. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got to have contacts. There's many good fighters that never get opportunities. And there's many fighters that are just okay. They get a lot of opportunities. Why? Mm. Because they're managed right and they're planned right. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you something about with my team. I had two of my fighters fight in Las Vegas. Yeah, on Lion Fight. How did I make that happen? They were just local fighters. So I rang Lion Fight and I said, I've got a couple of boys here that have got good records. We want to get on Lion Fight. Australia's too far. How do I fix that problem? It's not all about money for me. It's about creating lifetime memories that other people will never experience. So I said, I've got two boys. I'm going to fly them to Vegas. I'll pay. We'll work it out. You'll have two Aussies fighting two Americans. They're going to cost you zip. All I ask for you to do is give them a purse that you would an American fighter. Give them meal money and accommodation. The rest I'm looking after. I'll find a way to make it happen. And those two guys fought in America. Very few Australians will do. On the Las Vegas Strip, with all the promo, and what a life memory when they're sitting at home telling their grandkids, oh, I went to Las Vegas. Eh? Like, once again, that's my USP in fighter management. My unique proposition to the promoter was, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm going to make you money, bro. I'm going to, every business I've worked with as a general manager and a sales manager, when I have a client, I embrace that client like it's my business. If you work for a business and you act like you own that business, not your worker, clock in, clock off, that's a very short-term mentality thinking, that yeah, take you yeah. nowhere. When I worked for Blitz Publications and I left after 20 years, 22, people thought I owned it. They're like, what do you mean you're leaving? I said, oh, I'm done. I'm going to go and just want to teach and do you have a time fight show and all that? Oh, you don't own it? No. Well, no one knew I didn't own the business because they all thought that I worked in that. I give my I give my soul, man. Like every client that I managed, if they had an advertising campaign and I looked at it and I'm like, that's not going to work. I'm like, save your money, bro. Don't waste your money advertising with me. And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, well, I can't take your money. You've got to buy into any given situation in this world. You've got to take it to heart. You've got to invest yourself fully. If you work for someone... Work like you own the company. If you if you train fighters, think like you're having that fight. Don't throw your fighters into fights that's going to get them hurt. Put them into situations just to stand in the corner and be a hero for five minutes. No one cares about you. Trainers in the corner, no one cares. Don't make it about you. Do the best thing for your fighter. Do the best thing for your business. When you do the right thing by others, it sort of attracts the right outcomes in other ways. Hopefully, you know. And with the combat sports, media, and entertainment, what do you think's in store for combat sports, media, and entertainment going down the track? The pay-per-view stuff, you know, the, the live streaming, I've seen that go from, you know, shows getting 100, 150 buys to now getting 1,000. Been a tenfold growth in that area. As people become more comfortable with watching on devices, that market is definitely growing. You know, live combat sports that I do a lot of stuff with was a hard push. But now, the, you know, it's growing. You can't beat live. So I never want to see that compromised because of streaming. And I don't think streaming. you will. You know, to be yeah. fair, look at look at Rebellion. It was a sold-out show. You were there. You were there live. Obviously, they had plenty of pay-per-view buys. But if anyone's in town or local, they're going to go and support their guy. Andrew and his team, they had a bunch of supporters fly out from Sydney to go and support their fighters on the show. People are going to still turn up, right? If that person has made support, you know, part of their... They can. 
if they've trained with a group, if they're trained in classes, do they do they take classes? Do Get they help back, the guests? Yeah. Are they part of the gym community? Do they have a big network? Yeah, that'll bring people to the show. So the streaming is going to get bigger. The social media stuff is is obviously always on the up and up. As much as I see this, social media is is good and it's a necessary evil. There's a lot of damage that social media does because kids see all these moves, ten pad moves, and ba 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 ba. It's like show me a fight wherever that's ever going to happen. You know, just like people can get body image issues by seeing dudes with abs and muscled up and all that, you can sort of go, oh, well, I'm never going to be as good as that guy hitting the pads. It's aspirational, in some ways motivational, but it can also it can also have a negative. As much as you show the technical stuff, show the real basics. Encourage people to just be involved by not making it so grand and so brutal. My gym marketing in the early days, you know, all the gyms used to have guys with tops off boom, abs, in the magazines and papers, local papers. Never would I do that. Never. You know why? Because if I was... Go, give it. it. Okay, I I just want to go back about my own story about when I first got started with martial arts. I wouldn't take my T-shirt off that summer for for two years. Because I I was, you know, dad bod, 40 plus, had an injury, got overweight, seriously depressed, and seeing some dude with washboard abs... Has only got to turn me off, man. Yeah, and it's and you it's not relatable. Not relatable. No, absolutely. If you're marketing stuff with guys that look like you know all that, you got to think the hardest part of starting in a gym is walking in. You're going to be alienated because you're a bit overweight, or because you're self-conscious. Maybe you've got eczema. You don't want to take your shirt off. Maybe you're just not happy. You're a funny nipple or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Even with the fighter training, you know, guys want to rip it off. Yeah, they, I get it. They're proud of their, this is their work, body, yeah, body of art. Yeah, I'm, But you know what? No, if I do fighter training and we do clinching without a shirt on because you've got to learn and grab someone, it's a slippery bugger, you know, that's fine. But I do it. Yeah. I do it in a closed session. But I'm not going to have a room full of people with no tops on and, you know, girls with the little crop tops on. Girls aren't already comfortable with their bodies. You know, make them run around with little titty tops on. No. None of that. I don't have guys with no tops on. Stop it. Stop you guys that are doing it. Stop it. Because it's not helping your business. Stop, stop, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Put your shirt on. Put your clothes on. You boy, you bastards. <laughs> God, what a bunch of uh, incredible insights, mate. Like, it's it's like a commentary. Looking forward now, after everything you've done, what, what are the next challenges? What are the big projects you've got coming up in the next five years or so for yourself? I look at what I've created as, as being a bit of a legacy. You know, I don't want my system to finish when I do, if that makes sense. If something happens and I'm not uh, no longer on the planet or I'm incapable of teaching, I don't want the years of work to stop. I would like the Muay Thai Systems International curriculum that can be plugged into any Muay Thai gym. It's nothing to do with me. So the Muay Thai Systems International is something that's a, a plug and play that will help every Muay Thai gym to grow. I promise you. If you take, if you embrace it and you plug it in, I'm not saying to change your branding, change, you know, there's guys like Beast Gym, Johnny Bowman still got his Beast Gym. The instructors are certified. They follow a teaching curriculum system that works. So as you said, rightly so, 95% of people in most Muay Thai gyms or fight gyms generally, never going to fight, never. So how do you retain them? How do you keep them engaged? How do you give them goals? How do you keep them them growing within your within your business, within your school. You give them rewards. And it's for me, gradings are not about pass or fail. No. 
Um, there's enough things in life that test us. Gradings are about a checkpoint for your student. Formal grading, we test them on their jab, cross, push kick, leg kick, straight knee, straight elbow, round elbow. We give them feedback. No one gets the grade unless they have 80% proficiency. Then we put it together, we test their fitness, we test their core, we test their technical ability, we test a little bit of their partner drilling and sparring as they grow in the ranks. And they get given a sheet and it says, you're good at this, you need to work on that. Mm -hmm. Then they go away and that's some feedback. So it acts as a customer service. They don't just roll up and give you their money. You're invested and you buy into their progression within the fighting system, within the martial art, by giving them feedback ongoing different times that helps them grow, not only as a fighter, but of course, most and most importantly, as a martial artist, because martial arts is for life. Fighting is for this part, this much of your life. Martial arts is for this much. I can't even, mm. bigger than the screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's for, martial arts is a lifelong pursuit. Fighting is a small, very, very small part of your life. If we love and embrace our training and we know that it's done good for us, why wouldn't you want that continued beyond being in the ring? And you can only do that if you have a, a thought process of a martial artist rather than a combat sport athlete. It's like footy mm -hmm. players. You see footy players play footy, then you see them 10 years later, they're fat, they're out of condition, they've got mental health issues, you know, this, that. Because the discipline that they've had in their, that part of their life is gone. Martial arts and training has given us all many benefits. If you only have that for a small part of your life, and you go, okay, well, I, I was really fit and I was really focused and I met my wife and I had all this success at work when I was training. And then you stop training. Why would you do that? You're only as good as your last training session. And you don't have to train five times a week, but at least lob up two times a week. And if you can't train, help others. Yeah, good. There's so much reward in helping a young kid that has no self-esteem, that can't look at you in the face. You teach him a jab, cross a knee, bah, 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 someone grabs you, grab a knee. You'll defend yourself, bro. I'm telling you. You know, you see them grow. That's more, that's the reward. That's something that you can do when you're 80, not 18. Yeah, yeah I, brilliant. So that's it's a lifetime pursuit for me, and it always so, will be. Just to recap on that, this was the, what was it called? Uh, Muay Thai Systems International. This is just something for gyms to utilize. And then I give them all the marketing support and I give them any other support when they join. We create a registry of gyms that are aligned. So when a student gets to say a red level, which is above beginner, they walk, if, if someone's graded to that level and they walk into my gym, they come from Brisbane. They trade at one of our affiliates in Brisbane. They walk into my gym and they go, I'm a red level. I know where to put them. They're in my intermediate class. They're not a beginner. They're, in, they're not an advanced. They're in my intermediate class. So as an instructor, I go, this kid's trained at Beast Gym. He's got to that level. I know where to put him. I know what mm -hmm. his skill ability will be at. I'll know what his proficiency is at. Just, as I said, like martial arts, if, you, if you're if you a blue belt, if you're in jiu-jitsu, you're a purple belt, and you go to another jiu-jitsu gym, they know what your level of ability will be. Oh, he's a purple belt. He's really good. Or, you know, he's a black belt. Well, he's exceptional. Or he's a white belt. Well, he's got to, he's got to learn more. Uh, giving us all some sort of understanding to being able to cross collaborate. So when people move from state to state, from suburb to suburb, they will look for a gym that has the same teaching structure as the gym where they've come from, or else you could just be walking in anything. This has been a life, well, a life contribution of your work as part of that. And it's something that you have indoctrinated into your own gym. You're not 
you're not pushing out something that you're not doing for yourself. This has been tried and true for yourself. And this is, you know, decades of work. If people want to stay in touch with Mark the Hammer, this is your Instagram, Mark the Hammer Castanini on Instagram. Make sure you're following. If you're in Melbourne town, if you're in the 04, drop in and go see Mark at Hammer's gym. And don't walk in there like a peacock telling that you've trained for two years and you're the man. Just turn up and say you want to train. And oh, you can. <laughs> they can if they like. I've had that and I'm like, let's do some bad brain. You can tell me all about it. And uh... <laughs> I love it, mate. It's been an absolute pearl of catching up with you. Whenever I'm in Melbourne town, you know where I'm coming. All the best, brother. I'm, I'm really excited to continue to watch your journey unfold and I will be supporting as well getting in there, getting in the thick of things. And um, yeah, if I see you doing anything crazy, Matt, I'll call you out on it. <laughs> you do that. You do that. My <laughs> life is a little bit crazy at all times, man. So it's just another day for me. Till the wheels fall <laughs> off, mate, eh, Mark? That's it. That's, that's, uh, that's my life. Absolutely. All right, guys. We appreciate right, you guys being with us. Thank you, Thank for, you. Uh, for joining us on Combat Gym Unlocked.